Hello, I'm Julia Turner, and this is a Slate spoiler special for the finale of Breaking Bad. It is all that anybody at the Slate offices has been talking about for the past weeks, months, years, decades. It feels like forever. It seems to, uh, Breaking Bad fever seems to have also swept the internet at large. So today we have convened a panel of experts to discuss uh, whether the Breaking Bad finale was a smashing success and the best landing stick for any show ever of all time, or a horrible, disappointing slough of despond, which we will nitpick extensively. Uh, joining me today is Willa Paskin, Slate's TV critic. Hi, Willa. Hi. Uh, John Swansburg, Slate's culture editor and editorial director. Hey, Julia. And June Thomas, our culture critic. Sure. All right. <laughs> June has so many hats. Breaking Bad correspondent. <laughs> yes. yes. Albuquerque Bureau chief. <laughs> I've never been to the American Southwest. Uh, except for in uh, on it, the, the screens of AMC. Absolutely. Week after week. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, guys. In the grand tradition of the spoiler special, I should acknowledge for listeners that if you have not yet watched <laughs> the finale of Breaking Bad, we are going to talk about what happens in it. So uh, don't continue listening to this if you have not yet seen What Befalls Walt, finally. Um, Willa, do you want to describe briefly the contours of the finale and then give us your take on it? Sure. So in the finale, Walt, who has been holed up in New Hampshire, makes it back to Albuquerque and, in sort of short order, straightens out his life. He goes and sees Gretchen and Elliot, his former colleagues, and gets them to give his money to his children. He goes and sees Skylar and makes amends with her. He goes and frees Jesse. Um, then he kills all the Nazis. And <laughs> and the very last moment, um, you know, we see him dying. He's been shot by the booby-trapped gun that he's sort of set to kill the Nazis, um, and the camera floats off above him as we listen to Badfinger play us out. That is what happened. <laughs> what did you think of it? You know, it's really interesting because when it ended, I was like, oh, that was sort of simple. You know, it was sort of exactly what I was expecting to be in the finale, which <clears throat> is almost exactly what I don't expect to happen in an episode of Breaking Bad. The feeling, usually, of watching an episode is that something happened that you totally weren't expecting. So then I tried to kind of correct for wanting them to have blown my mind, because that doesn't that doesn't seem like something that they should have to do. And, and it all seemed... Um, some of the, certainly the early scenes were really well done, you know, in Gretchen and Elliot's house, the scene with Skylar. But then I sort of thought about it more, and I stopped liking it as much as I sort of had as it, as it ended. Because I think um, what the episode really did was it ultimately was really, really sympathetic to Walt in a way that um, the arc of the show has sort of not been that. It's, it's been slowly turning us, the audience, against Walt. And it felt, you know, from interviews with Vince Gilligan and the other writers, like they knew he was bad way before a lots of people in the audience did, and that they have sort of talked over and over about how this is a show that's really about morals and ethics and about this person who's broken really bad and how there are consequences for that. And in the end, obviously, you know, he died. That's not a, that's not a happy ending. You know, he's disgraced. He's hated by his family. But he did really make a lot of amends in that last hour. Um, and he did also kind of seem to be doing it for his family, finally. Like, his his confession that he was doing it selfishly, let him do it for his family. Um, So it ended up being sort of more pro-Walt than I was comfortable with. Tom, what was your take? Um, I agree with that. I I found, like, uh, in the the moment watching it, I found it very exhilarating, and and it's almost impossible not to find yourself rooting for Walt. There's something essentially um, heroic in his anti-heroism, and I was sort of pulling for him and having to sort of have this weird cognitive gymnastics where I was forcing myself to remember Ozymandias, the episode from two weeks prior where he, you know, he... 
basically was responsible for the death of my favorite character, Hank, uh, and just sort of trying to like catalog in my head all the awful things he did while I'm watching the show and sort of rooting for him to rig up a machine gun and take out all those big bad Nazis. And so I think the, the, my reaction to it sort of changed as the show rece- receded from you know my instant experience of it and I started thinking about it and actually reading uh, Willis Post for Slate, which really kind of helped me um, kind of understand my misgivings about it. And it's, it's the sort of pro-Waltness of the, of the episode. It really did, like you said, even though he ends up dying, he kind of gets to end everything on exactly the terms he would hope for given the, his current constraints, given that he's wanted by every basically government agency you could name, uh, his family hates him, his money's been largely stolen, he still gets to do all the things he, he would want to do um, and sort of, again, like die on his own terms, sort of die a legend, etc. June. I feel like the biggest pushover in the history of television. I spent years hating Walt with a singular passion, so much that in season four, when Jessica Gross and I were writing about the show, I really feared that some commenters might take a hit on us because they, <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't stand the man and his self, you know, his self-delusion and his, his, the, his lying ways, all of that. And then by the end of the episodes, I, you know, I kind of come around like everybody else seemed worse than him. And I, I feel like that's my failure, you know, as a, to, to not put enough distance between me and what's going on on the television. And it also feels like everything I've read, and I've read a few things this morning, has convinced me, like Emily Nussbaum at The New Yorker had this extended sort of almost a thought experiment. What if um, what if Walt died in that car in New Hampshire? What if he was a ghost that convinced me? <laughs> Maybe he was a ghost, except that he wasn't. And, or, and, you know, that Matt Iglesias in the TV club, you know, talked about who was much more critical than Emily Bazelon and I had been, talked about how, you know, it was, there was so much, it was all about, you know, Walt was representing the, the poor beleaguered white man. And you think, well, yeah, it was. How could I, how could I be sympathetic to that? But I was, and I, I, maybe the big surprise of the finale was that there were no big surprises. Well, I think the one thing that left me with misgivings about the finale was that for a long time, I thought the show was brilliantly executed, but not fundamentally that, that it fundamentally didn't have that much that was interesting to say, that it was basically just kind of a wild, gorgeous, perfectly executed Western that was totally fascinating and mesmerizing in its mechanics, that that was basically it. It wasn't really about anything super fundamental. And then as... I think basically season five got darker and darker and unfolded and unfolded. I began to feel like that exact feeling of getting drawn into Walt, right, and mm-hmm. suddenly sympathizing with him and basically rooting for every single character who's on screen. I mean, that seems to me the real brilliance of the show. Like when you see Hank and Marie, you're like, get Walt. And when you see Walt, you're like, get away from Hank. And when you see Jesse, you're like, kill Walt. Like anyone, basically, it just puts you so fully in the view of whoever. Uh, you're spending screen time with in the show that you can sympathize with all of them. But in the moments when you're sympathizing with Walt, you you just become incredibly complicit. And you, in addition to seeing him go from Mr. Chips to Scarface, as Vince Gilligan has famously said, you realize how susceptible you yourself might be to such a fall. I mean, not that any of us is necessarily, to my knowledge, cooking up meth in, <laughs> in any of our galley kitchens. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it leaves you, the show at its best left you wondering about your own capacity for moral 
darkness, which is why I think the episode Ozymandias is so powerful because you just see the explosion of that, that that illusion of control that he had, that sense of mastery and power and bravado that enabled Walt to accomplish all the evil that he accomplished so successfully just spins completely out of control. It's like the machine gun he develops in this episode spins around on him. His whole world is rocked. His wife hates him. His She's trying to stab him with his knife. His son turns him into the cops. Hank is dead. Like, everything he thought he could accomplish, he could not accomplish. And to me, that emotionally was a much more powerful moral reckoning with the worldview of the show. And this episode was so tidy, and it lets him get away mm-hmm. with so much. I mean, he dies. It, it makes it seem like maybe the... I, mean, I think you were exactly right, Willa, that the, that the show is sort of endorsing... Walt and his capacity for expert execution of whatever comes mm-hmm. to his mind. Everything works. I mean, yeah. I, you know, various people sort of picked apart the plausibility of different elements of his schemes in this last episode. And like any given one, I think you can forgive within the context of this show. I mean, the show is not, you know, The Wire. It's not trying for the kind of hyperrealism that The Wire was going for. Um, crazy stuff has happened before. Uh, you know, blowing up Gus Fring is also kind of a crazy uh, plot. But here it's like he got the stevia, he got the ricin into the stevia and like put it in exactly the right place. He, you know, set everything up. He got, you know, the, his, his whole uh, thing with the uh, laser pointers and the, um, you know, in that scene, like everything worked to a T. And so we were right back to like uh, Walt is the smartest guy in the room and whatever plan he comes up with is foolproof. And the right. thing that's that's interesting about it is I think that if we had gotten any sense at any moment that the writers knew that they were again playing into Walt's self-aggrandizement, right? That they were like, this is a storyline in which Walt, again, thinks he's the smartest man in the room and is on this genius sort of misguided mission that's maybe going to work, but is a little bit crazy, right? Like, call the cops. Don't try to send a machine gun through a wall and hope that all the Nazis will be in the room. If the show had sort of had any higher intelligence about that, then maybe it would have been okay because this is Walt's pathology, right? This is who he is. But instead, it just felt like they were really on board. You know, there was no skepticism. So, for example, you know, with the phone call to Skyler, obviously the writers had written in that skepticism that he was doing both things at once, you know, in Mm -hmm. Ozymandias, that he was freeing her and also saying all this horrible stuff that he believed. Um, And so we could argue about that. And and that's what they were trying to do. But in this, it doesn't feel like they had that duplicity. So we are sort of after the fact, you know, we're all writing and reading things about all these ridiculous things that happened in this episode that actually, you know, kind of make the case, they could have made the case that that it was a more complicated episode than, in fact, it felt like it was. Because- I mean, that was what was so, I think, interesting about Emily Nussbaum's post on the New Yorker site, because she sort of essentially is trying to figure out, the, you know, this conundrum that you just described, and, and her response is, well, maybe this really is Walt's fantasy. I mean, that's it's a, it doesn't seem like the writers had that in mind. They didn't give us any clue that I can remember or discern that to, to sort of we should believe that. But if you do say, okay, what if this was Walt's fantasy of how this story ends, it does sort of track, right? It's like everything happens in, in the best possible way. He gets to do all the things he wants to do. He even leaves Todd alive so that Jesse can kill him. I mean, like, right. you, the more you think about it, the more it does seem like right, no. it's what he wanted. And then we can what... go on with the fantasy that Vince Gilligan is the smartest man in the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it does hark back to the uh, the famous Sent Elsewhere finale where it's all just a, you know, a dream in the autistic boy's head. And maybe this is all a fantasy in the dying Walt's head. I mean, and maybe he did die in that parking lot in New Hampshire and I mean, it's possible, right? So we've, we've still got that possibility. I, I feel <laughs> like no structurally hint, it can't be because of the way that um, 
in episode 501, we, yes. I don't think you can cross-cut in and out of a fantasy sequence. I don't That's know what the point. rules of yeah. television are, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that we saw the Carol sequence, the fact that we saw the Ryson sequence, the mm-hmm, fact that we saw mm-hmm. the diner sequence and the, and the gun acquisition, I don't think you can, like, drip little bits of flash-forwarding into a fantasy. <laughs> I feel yeah. like just the logic of television, you can't flash forward into a fantasy, right? right. But I wish I found Emily's post incredibly um, bittersweet because I wished that that was what the finale had been. It feels like a more right finale for the show. Although, obviously, if it had ended with the last episode being <laughs> his death fantasy, we would be having a screaming <laughs> fight about how terrible that had yeah. been. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a funny thing about the the Sopranos finale, right? It's it's a finale that outraged people in the moment, left them uncertain whether their TVs were broken. It was just a completely communally enraging moment that I feel like critical consensus-wise has mellowed like a fine wine over time and in retrospect feels like a really brilliant way to have started to have concluded that show, right? And this episode curdled. I was enjoying it while I watched it. And then when it ended, I had this deflated little beach ball moment of like, huh. But I, wasn't, I, like I a- wasn't surprised by that at all. And then the more I think about it, the less I like it at all. But I feel like there was this weird response, at least on the on Twitter or from the people I I follow, where there was almost this like sigh of relief that this show ended without with, like tying up every possible loose end. And it wasn't like The Sopranos. Like I feel or like, like Lost, really. or like Lost. Yeah, I feel like there was some kind of like PTSD that uh, viewers had about the you know with these favorite shows and without you know any kind of certainty. And they were like, oh my god, thank God, Breaking Bad just like let Walt do everything he needed to do. We know where everyone ends up. Story is over. No ambiguity. And there was people were really happy about that. But then doesn't that just become like fan fiction? Like I, I, I just but, wish they hadn't. I, I didn't need the fan service. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. But it did seem like there's this, there's this feeling out there that. People were relieved, at least in the immediate aftermath. Maybe if you pulled those same people this morning, they would have that same kind of curdled well, it, it feeling. Does, it does seem like it's become so fraught to make these finales and that there's almost there would almost be some benefit in kind of doing something less ambitious, mm-hmm. even than it was trying to do, because then it doesn't ruin the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a great last episode, but it didn't destroy the show in the way that sometimes when they get it wrong, it can. I, I don't think that this, to me, this finale is quite as undermining of everything that came before as I think Lost, for example, was, which is sort of like not nearly as good a show, but kind of the quintessential like betrayal of what the show is about. Or or even, you know, Battlestar Galactica, for example, is sort of <laughs> worse too. Um, but it does it does they do carry this like insane weight, you know, where it's if this is what they wanted us to end with, even though up until two episodes ago, Right, they were complicating Walt every single step. It's like this is sort of what this is what we're left with. I think you all are just in resistance. The fact is that Walt is the master. He is the master <laughs> criminal. That Marie, poor, know nothing Marie, who I adore, was was wrong. That she said he thinks he's the master criminal and he's not. But you know what? Maybe he is. Maybe and again and again in this episode which I know y'all have your problems with, and I sometimes do. It depends what, what, uh, who I'm reading at the time <laughs> or listening to. But everything that succeeded was all about mastery and virtuosity and the people who had the best ideas and, and you know, put in their 10,000 hours. And, and it was all, there was all kinds of callbacks. But making it math, June, making math. Like it's, it, we can't just be like, oh, it's cool. He's a craftsman. It's great. He, he dies staring into his precious, this, this <laughs> silver vat for making math. And he's so much better than Lydia because she doesn't dirty her hands making 98% pure like product that turns people into teethless zombies. It's like... 
it's sort of so bogus. And, and the show has always kept such a distance from what meth is and what mm-hmm, it does, except mm-hmm. for, you know, the one episode really long time ago now where Jesse and the ATM machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like at this moment in this finale, that distance seems really manipulative, right? Like, mm-hmm. like he's, a, he's a genius. He can, he, can make a, he can make a machine to kill a lot of people. What an awesome guy, you know? Like, <laughs> also, come on. I mean, like, was that the smartest thing? Does that show him to be the smartest criminal ever or the luckiest criminal ever? He put a machine gun in the trunk of a car and, and drove into a Nazi compound. And, like, and they luck- let him reverse. Luckily, they let him park how he wanted. They let they him don't, parallel they park don't have in front of the mystery. bunker. <laughs> also, how did he know that he was supposed to spray to the side? That's what I don't understand. Like, you would think you, no one parks on the side of a thing. You pull into a parking space. Why didn't the machine come out and just spray straight? I, I mean, how did he know that? He hasn't been there before. Right. He, was, he was practicing on the, uh, on the, in the, in the, desert so he, 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 he did all the calculations he did the Matthew people he used science you have no faith in science well okay so here's the question if we believe if we if the show is not actually about the moral descent of a madman who um, will be rendered asunder by events he can't control and in fact it's about virtuosity as you argued in your post today June um, what is it, how, do, how does that reflect back on the whole show? Like, if this is really a show about a master craftsman or somebody who is feeling kind of middle-aged powerlessness and ennui and takes control of his life and takes its reins, I mean, is, it, is, this, like, is this like a midlife crisis show for men in their middle age? Like, what do, what do you make of Breaking Bad if you recast it around this I idea? Think it, I think you have to be more meta, though. I mean, it, 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 the thing that everybody's having problems with is just how much closure, how much wrapping up that sweet little bow that we had on the end. And, you know, maybe it's about the writer's attempt to to show that they are masters of their dominion and their technique. I mean, maybe it was, look, see, we made everything pay off. We had every callback. I mean, even uh, Jessica Winter was reminding me of, of something that... Um, that Jesse had said to Andrea when they were in that NA meeting about the box and blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, it's just there was a lot of wrapping up and of saying, look, man, we got it. When it all work? It all came out in the end. We didn't forget anything like those other, you know, shows did. Uh, so, I mean, I actually think that Vince Gilligan, we, nothing that we know about him is would suggest that he's like that, but it could be read that way, maybe. I think also it is about in a meta way about craft and it's about Brian Cranston's performance because you know I had just a couple days ago um, read that New Yorker profile of him and heard a, a sort of interview he'd done on the Emmys um, where he sort of talked about Walt as being this really complicated sympathetic and also evil figure who could you know be kind to a child who wasn't a black hat or a white hat and when I read that last week I was like this is crazy he doesn't he doesn't understand the character you know he really is you know for all our sympathy for these characters black uh, you know Breaking Bad has sort of existed in this kind of black and white universe um but then, you know, you watch this episode and you're like, his interpretation of the character, which in that New Yorker story we see over and over again, he doesn't want to, he thinks Walt is doing it for his family. And Vince Gilligan, you know, corrects him once and then is like, what was I thinking? I shouldn't be correcting him. This is the, this is the whole show that, that he can find this goodness in Walt. And then you think about what Breaking Bad is, which really this towering performance by Brian Cranston. I mean, that is really the thing of the show in so many ways. And you're like, oh, if, if the guy who was the heart of the show was the whole thing never really thought that Walt was totally bad, maybe that's that's what we got out at the end, you know, mm-hmm. that his his performance ended up outsmarting and out-emotionalizing all of these writers. And and I, I mean, I don't... I think that Vince Gilligan and his staff are obviously... have been amazing. So that sort of puts... 
that sort of takes away from them in a little bit. But I kind of watching, I almost wondered if, if the Brian Cranston's interpretation hadn't sort of won out. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting theory mm-hmm. that maybe the, their devotion to him and his performance kept the show from ending at Ozymandias Mayhem or ending in the icy lonesomeness of New Hampshire and they gave him this little coda, dreamlike coda of, of reckoning. Although just to point out that, you know, Brian Cranston isn't as good as Jeff Daniels or at least so said the Emmy vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we should go through the episode and just talk about how the storylines concluded for a couple of the different characters. I mean, one thing that, that there's been some comments on, on the web this morning is Jesse. Were you guys satisfied with Jesse's conclusion? I was. He, I mean, I felt like, you know, his time in the, in the Nazi prison was like he served his time. He, he's, uh, you know, he gets to start over with, yes, you know, of course, all of, we can't pretend that all this, this isn't about, you know, making drugs that kill people and destroy their teeth. But, you know, he was, he was brought into this by Walt. He, you know, he was just sleeping with some chick in an upstairs bedroom when Walt, you know, got him into this business. And and so I feel it was it was okay for him to serve his time, and then come out and start over. Yeah, I mean I'm not heartless. I wanted Jesse <laughs> to live, you know. And when he's like that scene where he's screaming in the car, you're you know free, and who knows? I mean he's wanted to, you know. It's, I don't know how free he is, but I was I was really happy. I mean, that was my my I'm super happy to give it to them fan moment. I, I really feel like, wanted him to. I feel like you could. You, I might think that you are heartless for <laughs> wanting him to survive. I mean after everything that guy's been through. Wouldn't it be more merciful to just kill him off? I, I think, you know, I know he's been so unhappy and so miserable for so long, but he's he's part of that was that he kept being tied to all this terrible stuff that he knew really was bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kept doing it or not being able to walk away. And I I think it'll be rough for him. But I, <laughs> I believe that, you know, Jesse, in a couple of years, he can be like a... He could be a, a you know, a teacher. wounded citizen. Yeah, totally. stereo salesman. I think like he could turn a... into Jesus the carpenter, like you know, <laughs> or a chemist. I think he might become a chemistry teacher. It's been off. I think there's a part of me. The, the fan service for Julia version of the finale would have been a tidy reckoning with Jesse as the agent somehow. Like I feel like I wanted there. I wanted mm. Jesse to outsmart Walter. I wanted. Mm. I wanted Jesse to be the engineer of his own freedom. Like I felt a little bit like Jesse was still. Uh, like the teacher, you know, it was teacher-student relationship, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Walt was teaching Jesse things about how to live, both at, both a positive example and a negative example as the show went on. And Jesse really grew up and and learned a lot and learned about what he believed and what he cared about and what he valued, mostly by contrast at the end of it, realizing that he wanted to, to be not like Walt, if anything. And I felt a little like his what he got in the finale was a little bit thin on that and I would have liked him to have some more but I think he barely got to do anything also I mean he barely spoke a line in the whole finale it's 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 true we could have had more of Jesse and I I think a more you know Jesse with more agency but I mean if you view the last three episodes as sort of the end because it's like Ozymandias sort of was the moral like the weighty end of the show and then there's this coda um, you know he did outsmart Walt in that episode, right. like fully 100%. Right, like, right. You know, and then all this terrible stuff happened that Jesse had obviously played his part in creating the situation. So, um, and, and then last week, you know, where he sort of escapes and then this horrible, and then he gets caught again. You know, he's had, he's had some really good moments, but he didn't particularly in this episode, although I think his decision, you know, not to kill Walt 
was, again, him showing that he's, you know. Right, but he doesn't even succeed in not killing Walt because Walt dies anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like Jesse, right, it's like Walt's view of the world, which is that I can, through my superior intellect, direct the course of events, proves true for Walt. And Jesse's experience of the world, which is no matter how much I freaking try to do anything, even if I finally figure out how to try and do the right things, I will fail miserably and everyone I love will die. Like, that, that is Jesse's experience of the world and it also remains true. Uh, <laughs> um, how about Skylar? What did you guys think of that final scene between Walt and Skylar? Man, I thought, well, first of all, I thought she looked awesome, right? She looked better than she should have, yeah. to be honest, <laughs> given her situation. It's that problem of like you know, sometimes really horrible things happen to people, you know, a bereavement or a breakup or something, and they look great, and you think you can't tell them that they look really good, <laughs> like you just lost a little weight in the face. They just have that kind of you know like beatific thing going on, and she had that, but. You know, she's got to give up the smoking. (laughs) It is like, I think the smoking is a pretty funny joke, though. You know, from the time where she's like, can I just have one cigarette to this stressful state where she's chain smoking. You're like, you actually also are allowed to chain smoke given everything that's (laughs) happened to you. I I thought that the, I thought, weirdly in the last episodes, and I didn't love her until sort of recently, Marie has just Mm. had such a great arc where you just, she's been, you know, she's been the most emotionally generous basically for the last four, like three or four episodes and, and her that phone call with Skylar I was you know pick up the phone I, let's mm-hmm. call a truce like mm-hmm. I have to tell you that he's coming you know I thought was very sweet and then of course her totally unconvincing explanation that Walt only has a one in a million chance of, of finding them you know which even she knows isn't true but you know the, the Skylar thing is Matt wrote this Iglesias wrote this in the TV club which is that the thing about that scene which I thought was very affecting and um, was very affecting is that it does make Skylar wrong in some yeah. profound way that is really unsettling about the show, you know, which is that when he says, you know, I, I did it for, and she interrupts him, you know, saying what we all are saying, if you say it's for the family, I'm going to kill you, basically. <laughs> and he says, no, I did it for me, you know. And, and that's, so that's like the, the climactic moment of clarity for Walt. Like, we know he's not terrible anymore. But, you know, they're connected around this issue. Like, they're two sides of the same coin. So if he's suddenly not if he can be good in that way then suddenly she you know she's wrong about him because then he is doing it for the family and all these people that have sort of hated her for not seeing the goodness in him and all that he's done for them are suddenly have you know have him a point and mm-hmm. and that that's not great i don't know i'm not sure that that his he's not saying i've known all along i was doing it for me his admission his final recognition that he was doing it for himself, that he was doing it because he loved the power of feeling good at what he was doing. It's not the same as saying, like, all along, I, I, this was all just a charade. I was pretending to do it for you. So it does not make her retroactively wrong in that she always had a little bit of a bullshit detector going off when he claimed to be doing it for her. And she sometimes bought it, and she sometimes didn't, and she sometimes couldn't decide it. And in fact, it was finally Flynn who, in the, in the Ozymandias confrontation, was like, no, 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 <laughs> we're not he's not doing it for us this is not about us let's turn him into the police you know she's always been on the fence and undecided and indecisive about it which I think is understandable uh, given his powers of persuasion but I, I didn't find that that final reckoning between them undercut her and the fact that it makes him right in the long term it sort of gives her the satisfaction of knowing she's been right Right. Part of her has been right all along. And yeah. the show also sort of lets her off the hook uh, in the way it let a bunch of people off the hook um, in this episode, I feel like. I mean, she was quite complicit in his criminal operation for a pretty long stretch of this show. And he basically hands her what sounds, at least in his hope, hope and imagination, will be a kind of 
the ticket to literally the ticket to get her you know to give her, he gives her a, a chit that she can trade with the authorities and his his distinct hope is that it'll mean that she will you know no longer be a subject of scrutiny by the DEA or whoever although that made no sense right like she can't be like by the way I know where Hank is buried I'm not telling you unless you <laughs> well he said get me a house <laughs> I, got, I just don't think that that's like it didn't seem it's yeah, like, it's been her brother-in-law it just didn't seem like like she would have to be really heartless to use it even in the but, way you know, you she's not a Nazi. You know what I mean? Like, she's not... <laughs> she's a money launderer. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, she's suffering. And, I mean, she's suffering. It's not like she's not paid any price. She's alone in a crappy, you know, dead-end neighborhood uh, surrounded by abandoned houses, it looked like. Um, and... You know, she's just all she has to do is sit at a table and smoke. I mean, she's paid a price. She didn't. She she did bad things, and she benefited for a short time by his evil. But you know, she's she's not on the great scale of evil. She she's. It feels like the punishment has fit the crime. Yeah, but she's about to become a a nine millionaire. She doesn't know that though. I mean, and, and you could say that that whole speech with with that that confrontation with um, Walt and Skyler is him sort of you know putting the finishing touches on that particular piece of you know the, of his great plan that he has to believe he has he has to make her believe that he's got no money that he's done that he's admitting all of his flaws so that then she can eventually, you know, she can let go and then accept the money, you know, I'm not just thinking, ah, yeah, he gave that to those losers, you know, whatever. And that that's, it's essential so that what he wants to do can be, can pay off. So in a way she's, you know, she's just once again falling for him. Oh, now you've turned me against Skylar once again. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that she's, I mean, I was not surprised because I think it was in a very important scene and a, and a great scene. I wasn't surprised that she let him in and talk to him. But, I mean, yeah. if you think back just to, you know, Ozymandias in the timeline of the show didn't happen that long ago. This man murdered your brother-in-law, tried to kidnap your daughter, and now he's back and he looks a little haggard. And you're like, eh, come in. We'll have a chat. Five minutes. Well, it- she was relieved that in some capacity probably that Hank died. I mean, she right. was in such a weird position at the time of his death and had cast her lot with Walt. And, you know, if if Hank had – if what had Marie thought had come to pass – if Hank had lived, you know, she would have been in a pickle. So I, it's not to say that, uh, you know, I, I just I'm sure part of what she's been thinking about for these months is how she got herself in a situation where, you know, she was sort of rooting for her brother-in-law's death. All right. So that's Skylar. Let's uh, what about Gretchen and Elliot? Well, I think this is also one of the really crazy failings of this episode, which is that Gretchen and Elliot, who are very affluent, but you know, self-starting millionaires, come off seeming like the worst people in this episode, except maybe the skinheads. <laughs> now, I, you know, talk about your Napa wines, talk about per se, all of those things are annoying, but these people have not actually murdered anyone or <laughs> sold any drugs or done anything. And, you know, even if the last episode sort of made it seem like Walt really had been fully wronged by them. We've never gotten the entire story. Certainly earlier, it seemed a much more complicated situation than that. We know Walt well enough to know that even when he was a mild-mannered chemistry teacher, he totally could probably have just, like, walked away in a fit, feeling, you know, like he was underappreciated. And instead, they're portrayed as these, you know, as these guys with tiny knives who are sort of not going to do what Walt does and have no, have no backbone and have no values and are sort of terrible. I thought that scene was 
beautifully done and amazing. And when Walt was walking around the house in that wide shot was just like hilarious and creepy. But I did think the characterization of them was was really strange. And like Lydia, you know, who all we know about is for all we know, she's basically Walt, right? She has a kid. She wants to make a lot of money. But somehow she's also terrible because she's sort of a priss. Like, mm-hmm. that being a priss or being rich or affluent um, or successful and, and not having your hands dirty in this sort of, but not doing terrible things somehow makes you worse than Walt. This show has always hated yuppies of that kind. Remember in the first season there was that guy who drove the BMW and was like an asshole in the, in the line at the bank teller? Then Walt blows up his car. Like the show has always had a chip on its shoulder about a certain kind of yuppie entitled, you know, should we go to per se or 21 club sort of attitude. Yeah. It's an interesting theme. Yeah, and there's Skyler's uh, boyfriend, Ted, who, uh, who's not quite as upper class maybe as these other people but he's certainly striving in that direction and he right. also uh, you know was was damaged by his lovely property uh, you know that's what <laughs> his that's throw what rug okay. his throw rug brought was his downfall his nefarious yuppie throw rug <laughs> exactly <laughs> absolutely um, and, and what about the Nazis are, are you guys all satisfied that the Nazis bit it? <laughs> I was rooting for the Nazis. Um, I, I found that one of the problems that I had with this episode and really for a problem I've had through, sort of throughout the latter half of this last season is that the Nazis, I think, are the least interesting of the bad guys that this show has created. Obviously, the most interesting bad guy is Walt. Um, but throughout the run of the show, you've had um, Gus Fring, who was one of my favorite characters, totally fascinating it was so sphinx-like and um, Tuco Tuco who was like the opposite you know completely loose canon but also you know you would he sort of came into three dimensions we, you know we, we realized that he sort of had this loving relationship with his uncle mm-hmm. um, and was completely unpredictable in a kind of exciting way like those guys were great foils for um, for Walt and the, the Nazis are just Nazis as you pointed out Will like this, you know the show didn't really need to tell us that Nazis are awful people I mean did anyone care that the Nazis got mowed down there was no feeling of um, you know ambiguity there. It's like these guys are just bad. They go around murdering people. You know, they took out nine people in a prison. They took out Hank. They're just like that. You know, in a show that sort of thrives on on moral ambiguity, these guys were like the first. You know, I mean, I guess Tuco is also evil, but these guys were just really kind of cardboard. Well, no, and I think it's not so much the cardboard as that they've right. The show has given these very nuanced and particular portraits of the many stripes and varieties of evil. Like even the cousins who are maybe yes. the other most cardboard right mm-hmm. evil twins. are are so fascinating and singular and unexpected and feel like out of somebody's particular weird fever dream right. which is like if you just had to come up with kind of like a a gimme bad guy or like yeah gang of nazis it's like <laughs> and it does it is like the you know the death of crazy eight or something or gus or especially mike for example those were all watching those those hurt i mean it's not like yeah. there were things that were you know gus's death is obviously one of the Oh my God! They just did that moment of the whole show, but it it wasn't just a gleeful like yeah like get him action sequence thing. And I felt like that scene with the Nazis dying and then you know Jesse kill, strangling Todd was like we were supposed to be like on our feet just like cheering catharsis like they've they've you know exercised these terrible terrible guys, which was just so it's so shallow and so beneath like what Breaking Bad has done basically with the death of every other terrible person that they've ever had on that show. Right. Think about the, the amazing scene where Mike dies where like either he's, they're sitting down by the river and he's like just let me die in peace. I mean that was so heart-wrenching. This is a guy who's been like in the business to take care of his granddaughter. You completely feel for him. He's another person who like has great mastery of criminal enterprise mm-hmm. and you sort of pull for him the same way you do with, with Walt and compared to that the Nazis are just such jokes. Well, well the, the other, my big problem with the Nazis... <laughs> 
<laughs> is that apart like, from the whole Nazi thing? The whole Nazi thing is that like Walt, they don't seem to do anything with their monies. Like <laughs> they do these all this crime just for the sake of doing the crime. They're still living in and hanging out in a crappy clubhouse. Yeah, they have eighty I mean, million. Yeah. What and why are they? You know, why are they doing this? It's, and why was Walt? You know, he just had that big pile of money, and so he could have a. a a, a car wash so he could you know there's all these things so he could pass it on to his you know maybe the Nazis are doing all kinds of you know good white supremacy things with their money <laughs> but it just, it, it's just so frustrating to me it, to me that makes <laughs> makes the Nazis all the more evil if they, they, they're not even there doesn't seem to be any pleasure coming out of their evil acts yeah they, they just didn't their motivations were a little bit thin um, all right, here we are. We've now sat around for about half an hour griping, basically, <laughs> right, about the finale of the show that I think to a person we all esteem extremely highly and and respect. Um, so these are these are morning after sour grapes, um, but it does leave me wondering, like how 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 is a show supposed to stick the landing, right? I mean, they they went out of their way, it seems, to try and please multiple fan bases of multiple levels. We seem somewhat displeased on balance with the finale even if we're all still pretty gung-ho for the show itself as a viewing experience like what why why even try to create a premium cable drama if you know that can only <laughs> land you in the predicament of doing a pretty freaking fantastic job of, right. of, of <laughs> you know landing the plane and still having people nitpicking the morning well, I'm after. I'm fully satisfied because I think we did have Ozymandias and then we had two more episodes. We st- we we got it all. We and and you know this was this episode was called Felina, which is both a reference to the chick in the song by Marty Robbins that was playing when you know. Walt got his truck in New Hampshire, but also an anagram of finale. And so it's, you know, stuff being mixed up and, you know, we can make other things out of our original material, blah, blah, blah. But it, so we had everything. I, you know, yes, I can find lots of things to, to mumble and complain about. But I I thought Gilligan proved that he is, you know, the king of television because not only did he make a great show, but he also did it without apparently being a total douche like most of the other <laughs> great showrunners of television. Yeah. I mean, I think, he pro- I think he proved that in Ozymandias. I just yeah. sort of wish it ended there. I mean, it, it, you know, like you said, we kind of got to have both endings. I yeah. wish we only got to have the one that I prefer, but whatever. I mean, you know, I'd rather have the both of them than neither. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't actually think the finale, I think the finale basically landed well enough that there's nothing that undermined the show partic- too much. You know, I would... I would watch that show again. I would be happy to watch that show again. Maybe one day in ten years, and I have forgotten certain things. I will watch that show again. Um, but I think, you know, it's also it's it's it re- we all react to the reaction now, yeah. and there is just this way that it sort of ended sort of so cleanly, you know. And then you have to react to your own reaction to feeling like, oh, that was so, and everyone else being so happy about it, you know, like ever. <laughs> And then, so we'll, I think I think that these things actually, even though we all react so quickly, they sort of do take time. And in like a month, even though it's definitely not what I would have also wanted it to end two weeks two weeks ago, you know, maybe I'll I'll feel more kindly towards it. All right. Well, thank you guys all for coming in to to spoil the unspoilable, the marvelous Breaking Bad, which finally ended this week, uh, June. Thank you, John. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Willa. Thanks. Remember craftsmanship. What it's all about. <laughs> For Slate.com, I'm Julia Turner. Our producer today is Chris Wade, and Andy Bowers is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.